Welcome to On Baseball Writing, the podcast featuring conversations with writers who cover the game we know and love. Now here's your host, Eric Roseberry. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome once again uh, to On Baseball Writing. I'm Eric Roseberry. Today, uh, happy to be joined by Ben Lindbergh. Ben writes for The Ringer, and he co-authored uh, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work with Sam Miller. Ben, how's it going today? It's going very well, thank you. Good. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us. And I guess the first question is, uh, you know, recently you've had an opportunity to expand what you've been writing about. Uh, Obviously, there's been a lot of baseball over the years, but now uh, video games, the election, movies, TV. Uh, Were you always interested in finding a platform where you could write about a wider range of topics? I wouldn't say I was always interested in it, but it definitely has been a a big interest for me over the past couple years. I kind of, I don't know that I got into baseball writing accidentally. I wouldn't say that, but I initially wanted to work in baseball and then I sort of ended up writing about baseball just because I had always written in school and I'd been an English major and I liked baseball. And once I discovered Baseball Prospectus and all those other sites, it just really caught my interest and I started to want to do it too. And then once I had a little success doing it, I wanted to keep doing it. And for a while, I just wanted to be the best baseball writer I could be. And I still do, definitely. But I really like having a chance to branch out a bit. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Grantland. And then that was one of the reasons why I followed a lot of my former Grant League, uh, Grantland colleagues to the ringer, because they just have a a very kind of open approach to their writers. And it's just sort of, you know, if you show that you can write about other things, then they're willing to let you, which is uh, really great. So I just find that it kind of, you know, it's nice to have a little variety as great as it is to write about baseball. That's something, you know, lots of people really, really want to do. And it's, uh, we're all lucky to be able to do it. It's also nice to just, you know, be able to think about something else and put that work into other topics and and see if you can do it. And it's, you know, it's kind of intimidating because once you've been writing about baseball for a while, that's sort of the, the thing you feel most comfortable doing. And so when I write a baseball article, I feel like I more or less know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm I'm wrong all the time, of course. We're all totally wrong all the time. But at least we we know the subject matter and we, you know, aren't going to say something completely you know, ill-informed, I guess, whereas where if you're writing about something that you haven't written about before, that's always a, a concern. So that's always sort of in the back of your mind, but it's been a fun challenge. I'm curious. So as you transition from, and we'll back up in a second, but going from baseball perspective to somewhere like Grantland or the Ringer, what do you feel like changed about your baseball writing from being with uh, solely a, a baseball focused crowd and then moving to this group of colleagues who have kind of this wide ranging list of topics they have to cover? Yeah. I mean, not that much changed about my work, I don't think. It, it was definitely you know, it was great to be at Grantland and and the Ringer because you're with these people you really respect and you go to the site every day and there are things that you want to read and you're so impressed by that it kind of makes you want to raise your game a little bit. And that's part of it. That's always in your head. But as far as the actual writing itself, both of 
both of those sites have really just kind of let me do the same sort of thing I, I would have been doing at Baseball Prospectus, more or less. I mean, the entire baseball staffs of Greatland and The Ringer essentially have been former Baseball Prospectus people, you know, whether it's sure. Jonah Carey or, or Michael Bauman or Randy Gisarely, it's it's uh, all Baseball Prospectus people and the editors of the site, you know, know and love Baseball Prospectus. And so you, you kind of be conscious, okay, I'm writing for an audience that didn't come to this site solely for advanced baseball analysis. And so you kind of want to be able to catch the eye of people who are there for other things. And if they're just jumping in without necessarily the background that a, a baseball prospectus subscriber would have, you you don't want to assume that they know all that stuff already. But for the most part, my editor at both sites, Mallory Rubin, who is great and incredible, just lets me do my thing. So if I want to do a, a kind of wonky stats piece that could have run at BP or 538, I can do that. And if I want to do a, a more reported piece, then that's encouraged. And if I want to do something totally silly and frivolous, I can do that sometimes too. So I've been really lucky. Well, then let's back up. And you mentioned some of the early opportunities you had. Uh, when did that desire to, to write about baseball first come about? And then what were some of those uh, real early uh, experiences that you had, like your opportunities you were given? Yeah. Well, for a while, at first, it was just a way to try to have something baseball related on my resume because I kind of wanted to work in baseball or at least give that a shot. So I did whatever I could to achieve that goal. So I, I worked at the Elias Sports Bureau and I did internships with the Yankees and the Nationals in school. And then after school, I did an internship with the Yankees. And so I was just trying to make myself a, a more attractive applicant, basically. And and if you had baseball perspectives on your resume, that could only help. Obviously, that's mm, yeah. helped many other people who've gotten jobs in baseball. So I think I started maybe the summer before my senior year of college, just as a research assistant for the summer on a book that never actually ended up being written. Baseball Prospectus was, was trying to do a book on baseball in the 1980s. And there was a, a lot of research and a lot of writing that was done that I think is still sitting on Stephen Goldman's hard drive and uh, never never saw the light of day. But I would you know, go to the library and look through old articles and try to help the writers research various topics. And then when that project ended at the end of the summer and I went back to school, I was able to stay on as an intern and eventually got the chance to write because I, I got to know Steve and I got to know Christina Carl a little bit and they are very encouraging. And if you can do it, if they think you might be able to do it, then they definitely want to give you a shot. So I, I started doing it and I don't know, I wrote a handful of articles before I graduated and then I went to work for the Yankees for a year, which I thought was what I wanted to do, what I would probably continue to do. And it was great. I was an intern in the baseball operations department, and it was 2009, so we happened to win the World Series. I had great timing. I got to ride in the parade and you know, mm. be in the clubhouse after they won and drink champagne, and it was all very exciting. I got the full you know, life in baseball experience, but I kind of... You know, I had envisioned myself, I guess, as like a, a stat head who worked for a baseball team. And maybe I could have done that 10 years earlier, but I was a little late given my strengths and my background. You know, I was working with people in that department who had 
computer science degrees and, you know, master's Mm. degrees in computer science from MIT and just, you know, really brilliant people with the background that I didn't have. And, you know, I, I could have done what a lot of people do, which is sort of just go internship to internship and one internship in baseball ends. And then you use that to try to get another one. And you just hope that eventually it leads to a full time job. But I had really enjoyed writing while I was doing that at BP, and I I really liked getting comments from readers and other writers. That's one of the the best things about it. And so I missed that, and I also felt like writing and then later podcasting was probably a, a better way for me to distinguish myself than to try to go back into baseball and compete with people who were much smarter and much more capable in in those ways than I was. And so I gravitated back to writing, and I'm, I'm really glad that I did. You might be the first person I've heard say you enjoy the comment section of an article. (laughs) Well, I was lucky. I mean, baseball perspectives comments are the best. You know, everyone has paid to read your work and they're very smart and knowledgeable and thoughtful. And so, you know, now I don't have a comment section. I I think Grantland used to and then got rid of the comment section. And then The Ringer does, you know, it has a comment section, but it's, it's not especially active. So I miss that. You know, at Baseball Prospectus, you would often just find out something you were wrong about or you'd read something really entertaining or something that would send you off in a a different direction. So that definitely got me in the habit of reading the comments, which, yeah, depending on what site you work for is is not the best idea. So those experiences you had working with the Yankees and the Nationals, and not every writer's had that experience. How do you feel like that's I don't know, uniquely helped your writing or has it shaped you in any way having that experience with a team? I think it definitely helped me a little bit. It, you know, gave me a few contacts that I wouldn't otherwise have had. And and that was helpful later when I was working on articles and wanting to reach out to front office people. I, I had some who I could contact and who knew me. And so that was a good way to kind of get my foot in the door that way. And, you know, it was helpful to get a, a little look behind the scenes. I mean, I, I wasn't privy to the the top level decisions or anything, but I was able to access, you know, the Yankees internal system. Every team has a, a fancy database you can access. And I got to see how advanced it was. And and the Yankees were one of the first teams to, to build a, a fully fledged system. And so when I was there in 2009, 2010, it had already been around for several years and was incredibly advanced. And so it gave me, I think, a greater appreciation of how much information baseball teams have at their disposal. I mean, you know, there are things I could access then that I can't access now, even several years later, because they're just not publicly available. And I still kind of miss (laughs) having that access. And so, you, you know, knowing what they had six years ago, I know that now they must have things that are even better and more advanced. And so that's kind of in the back of my head when I write something, I try not to be too certain about everything because I know that at times at least I'm I'm at an information disadvantage and I know how smart the people working for teams are and how much information they have at their disposal and so I'm kind of conscious of that when I write not that you want to just defer in every case and say well they must know something we don't and that that, that would lead to a lot of boring articles I think <laughs> but at the same time you don't want to be too confident that you know everything because you you might not and I, I got to see 
early, you know, I, I wrote for Grantland an article about how my first day as an intern in baseball operations, the Yankees had just discovered catcher framing. And this was oh. like two, 2009. So I, I walk into the office and, you know, they've just discovered that Jose Molina is like a defensive god. And this totally changed my perception of baseball. And it's probably why framing has been a, a big interest of mine over the last several years. And so getting to see that, just, you know, it, it gave me, I guess, a, a greater appreciation. Hey, baseball teams might know things we don't, and they're working with variables that we might not even be considering. And so that really, I think, gave me the the bug to want to dig into this stuff more, because who knows what's out there that you don't know about yet. Who were some of the the writers you were drawn to, uh, shaped you, could be within the game, could be outside of the game? Who's had the most impact on you as a writer? Yeah, well, you know, I've been listening to the the earlier interviews in this series, and it seems like yeah. there are a lot of uh, names that always kind of come up, and and they it, definitely should come up. And yeah, you know, say, does it surprise you? I think every episode you have come up as this is <laughs> well, a guy that has influenced me. Is that weird to hear that? Uh, it's very flattering, especially because you've had a lot of really great writers on. So it's it's great to hear that. I, you know, it's partially because I was at BP, and so I was in a position where I was able to help some writers out or give writers chances, and that was one of my favorite things about the job. But you know, the the writers, everyone names you know Grant Brisby and Jeff Sullivan, and and you know Sam Miller now, of course, and I mean those are great from an analytical perspective, Jonah Carey and on and on. And then there are people you really respect just as reporters who, you know, I could never rival just from an information gathering perspective. I mean, someone like Ken Rosenthal is just, I mean, he's amazing. He's the nicest guy and also the best connected guy and the hardest working guy. He's just everything in one. But I don't know. I mean, when I was growing up, I wasn't really reading baseball writing all that much you know I've kind of gone back and now I I really admire Roger Angel of course as everyone does and you know when I'm writing and I feel like maybe I'm I'm not conveying exactly what I want to convey or I'm getting too bogged down in stats or for whatever reason it's just not flowing the way it usually does I'll just pick up a Roger Angel book off the shelf and flip to a random page and sort of remember what writing is supposed to sound like so um so he's one but you know when I grew up I I read a ton of fiction. I still do science fiction. I love fantasy. I love. So when I read, I mean, I, I read a lot of baseball writing just to stay up on everything and make sure I'm reasonably well informed. But for fun, I'll just read something that's completely not connected to baseball. So I'm not sure how that influences my writing, but I guess sort of just by osmosis, you you pick things up as you go. So one question we got from someone who submitted one for you was, if you weren't doing this, and I mean, you're getting to, to branch out a little now, but if you weren't writing about baseball full time, what do you think you'd be doing? Yeah, I, I probably would still be writing about something, I think, and I, I'm, I don't have any other useful skills. So that's one reason to, to keep writing. But it was just always, I don't know, when I was growing up, is I always thought that writing would be a kind of a, a fun pursuit and, and almost a noble pursuit, not to make too much of it, but, you know, nothing brought me more pleasure as a kid than just burying myself in some story. And so I always thought that if I could do that for other people, that would be the, the coolest possible thing. So if I weren't writing about 
baseball, I'd probably be writing science fiction or something. You know, I, yeah. I still sort of dabble in that in my spare time. So I think that is probably what I would be pursuing. Whatever, whatever I do, it would not be something all that lucrative. It would be, uh, it would be probably novels or something that even fewer people would read. So uh, as a, a writer, clearly it's something you care about or passionate about. What's the best piece of advice? And I mean, I'm putting you on the spot. So just maybe uh, a piece of advice that stands out as you were progressing that was really significant to you. Yeah. I mean, you'd think I'd have a, a good response to this question by now because uh, <laughs> everyone gets asked it all the time. It's not a surprise and and everyone wants to know. And it's hard to to say because I, I, don't, I don't totally know – what enables me to do this or what enables other people to do it. I mean, to some degree, I, I think it's something that just kind of comes naturally or doesn't, although obviously you can improve it. So, you know, everyone says, well, read a lot and write a lot. And that is right. the best advice. It's also not very helpful because everyone gives that advice. So I guess for me, maybe it was just uh, just kind of being myself. And, and that's a, a hard thing to say also, because when you're just starting out, it's kind of hard to feel like you can be yourself. Like, you know, when I started out at BP, I felt like every article has to be this, you know, landmark study into some topic no one has ever researched before just to just to deserve my place at this site with so many incredible writers. I have to, I have to, you know, produce something brilliant every time or at least try to. And it really, I, there was a turning point for me where I, I wrote an article about baseball and like sex in sheet music there are all these old like you know 19th century baseball songs that are kind of like they're sort of like barely disguised like romance novels almost in songs and you can dig up this old sheet music and there are all these like baseball metaphors for sex and it's just like really it's uh it's sort of raunchy but disguised in baseball terms and it was just totally silly and non-analytical and it, it was unlike anything I had done before. So I wasn't sure I'd be good at it. And I, I think I remember like sending a draft to, I don't know, Grant or Sam or someone and saying like, is this how you're supposed to write funny things about baseball? Cause I've never <laughs> done this before. And, uh, after I did that, I, I don't know, it just felt much more freed up to do almost anything. You know, I, I still gravitate toward the stat stuff and the analytical topics, but it doesn't have to be that every time. And I was able to just make some silly jokes and not take it too seriously. And that's a hard thing. I, I don't know that that's something you can do until you have some experience under your belt and you're able to relax a little bit because I, I think that feeling of I have to justify my presence here, I have to mm -hmm. prove that I deserve this, you know, that's that's a hard thing to get past until you're able to settle into the role a little bit. But if it's possible, I think it is helpful to realize that, you know, it's okay to just have fun and pursue some silly interest and there will be people out there who enjoy it. Yeah, I'm going to have to track that one down if I can. I don't think I've uh, read that one yet. So yeah. uh, how do you feel like the – you mentioned the podcast. How do you feel like that has impacted you and maybe not in your writing but but as a writer or just what has been the significance of doing that daily show to now with The Ringer and Effectively Wild? Uh, how important has that been for you as you progressed? 
Yeah, I mean, it's been incredibly important. I, I wanted to start the podcast both because BP was about to lose the Up and In podcast at the time. And so just as the editor of the site, I felt like it needed some sort of podcast replacement. But also I, I wanted to try to test myself and see if I could do it. And at first I couldn't, but we kept doing it anyway. And uh, it's definitely made me better at speaking and kind of thinking on my feet, you know, talking to Sam every day with with no prep and his mind works in all of these fascinating ways. And so you kind of have to be prepared to go anywhere that he takes you and be ready to respond. So it's almost been like a, an improv training kind of thing, I sure. think, which has definitely come in handy in other areas and, you know, doing radio or other podcasts or TV or whatever it is. When I started, I, I just kind of, you know, spoke the way that I speak in my normal life, which is not very much. <laughs> I don't speak all that much. And I speak kind of just in this laid back way. And so I've, I've tried to have to be conscious of the fact that, oh, I'm, I'm performing in a way I'm still being myself, but I'm trying to be a more engaging version of myself that people would want to listen to, I guess. So it's helped me in that way. And it's just been like, literally, since we started talking, I just got an email to the the podcast email address that says, thank you, subject line, thank you. And just says, I just wanted to say thank you for still being there, which, uh, you know, like we get emails from uh, like that all the time, which is just, uh, it's amazing. I mean, the, the community that has been built up around the podcast is great and people caring about the show and, you know, not just talking about the show, but then building their own things, Banished to the Pen, of course, you know, which was started by Effectively Wild listeners and is now its own fully-fledged site and a, a breeding ground for great writers. And just, you know, the Facebook group is a place that people can go at all hours to talk about anything, really. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And, it, and it's led to all sorts of things that we couldn't have anticipated, like the book. You know, we, we almost certainly wouldn't have written that book and definitely not the way that we wrote it, if not for the podcast. Or even like when I just got engaged recently, the way I was able to do it on stage with my favorite band happened because a podcast listener put me in touch with that band and just mm. happened to to know the band. So like all of these things that have nothing to do with the podcast itself have come out of the podcast. And it's just, you know, maybe as, as you have discovered yourself, it's just this way to relate to people that is much more personal and intimate than even writing can be at times. And especially doing a daily show for so long that people made part of their routines and their commutes. And, you know, it was like, get up and brush your teeth and download the podcast. And it just became that for a lot of people. And so it, uh, it's been much more than I was ever expecting. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking the other night how much, uh, this might sound weird, how much my day-to-day -day has changed because of Effectively Wild, just in terms of friends I talk to throughout the day now I met from the Facebook group and yeah. having the opportunity at Banished to the Pen and this show wouldn't be here without, I think I started listening right before the, the 2014 season just as a, uh -huh. hey, I've kind of been out of baseball for a while. Why don't I try and get back into it this year? And all these, yeah, different opportunities that came from starting to listen to the show. So I'm, I'm sure you hear stuff like that quite a bit, but. Yeah. And that's really gratifying. I mean, it'd be nice if it were just uh, getting to talk to Sam about baseball. That's always fun. But the fact that other people get some enjoyment out of it also just makes me feel good all the time. Well, good. Well, good. And you mentioned the book, uh, I'm curious, as you and Sam had the opportunity to do that, what were some of the, were there any challenges that came up that 
you weren't expecting to encounter? What were some of the biggest differences between writing articles as you were and then doing this massive project? Yeah, I mean, the writing of the book itself was, I don't want to say the easiest part, but it, at times it kind of was just because when we're writing, we feel like we know what we're doing. And, you know, all the other times in the project, we felt like we didn't know what we were doing. So mm -hmm. the writing itself was very quick and compressed and accelerated. And so it was a challenge in that sense. And I had never written anything really of any length with someone before. And so that was just a coordination challenge just to, you know, I'm writing something and I have to make sure that Sam is writing the thing that I think he's written so that I can refer to that thing and the reader will understand what I'm talking about. And we have to make sure that we're not repeating the same stories and observations. And so, you know, our editor helped us a lot with that. So that was, I guess, not more of a challenge than we were expecting, but the the thing itself, and you know, if you've read the book, then you know why it was it was challenging. But sure. just having to assert ourselves, I think, was the the hardest part. I mean, there were the little mundane parts of it that were so hard about running a team that we just hadn't anticipated. You know, the hours that we spent sort of setting up our scouting network and figuring out how to edit video and present it to the players and just we talked to tech support much more than we ever expected and we kept having to buy bigger and bigger camera batteries and longer and longer extension cords and just all these little kind of mechanical things that we weren't expecting but between that and then the challenges we had with our first manager and trying to figure out how to navigate the whole hierarchy of a baseball team and do we give orders or do we try to persuade and how forceful are we? And neither Sam nor I is really a confrontational person. So it took us too long to to get that down, I think, than we would have liked. So there was a, a lot that was pretty tough to anticipate or plan for or be better at without just going through it and, and screwing up a lot. One of the things we like to ask people on here, because we have individuals listening who would, they'd love to do this full time and kind of uh, dream about uh, a world in which they, they could write full time. And you're someone with, you're writing multiple articles a week. You've got uh, at least two, uh, maybe three podcasts you're doing. What does a, a day look like for you? A week look like for you? Uh, how have you kind of structured your life to be able to produce that amount of content? Uh, I've sort of destructured my life. I think I've, I've, uh, I kind of don't really have a day night cycle anymore. I guess I, I never really did like whatever I was able to, I would just, I guess I'm just sort of a, a night owl and whatever my, my circadian rhythm is set up that way that when I'm left to my own devices, I will just stay up later and later and then, you know, sleep through part of the day. And I'll, I'll just kind of like transition around the, the clock almost. And at times I will overlap with the rest of the world. And at other times I'll be completely inverted with the rest of the world. So to be able to, you know, do all the episodes of all the podcasts and write and everything, I stay up a lot of nights and I, I just sort of, I, I guess I'm one of those people who doesn't need as much sleep as is recommended, or at least I'm, I'm getting by without it. Um, 
and I kind of catch up on weekends. And I, I, I don't know. It's like I don't want to make it sound like a, a struggle because everything I'm doing is really fun for me and mm. uh, intellectually engaging. And so it's not like, oh, I have to stay up and finish this article. It's like I, I want to finish this article. I'm looking forward to finishing this article. It's going to be sure. fun to finish this article. You know, not that not that it's always easy or there aren't times when you don't feel like writing, of course, but on the whole, you know, everything is just so much better than day jobs I've had that, you know, I could go in and I could clock out at a certain time and and relax the rest of the time. And that was nice just to be able to say, okay, I'm I'm not working anymore. I'm done with work for today. But I think on the whole, I like the sort of round the clock kind of being at least semi-working in some way uh, because the, the work itself is is fun. So, you know, there are times when I'll stay up for 24 hours or, or longer during the week and then I'll kind of crash on a Friday night or something and, and catch up over the weekend. And and uh, I, I don't really mind. I don't know. I, I'm not operating heavy machinery or anything, so I'm not endangering anyone with my uh, sleep sleeplessness. And I guess I'm able to function enough to, to get by. And uh, the more I can do, the, the better, because it's, it's all rewarding for me. Well, and as you, as you kind of go through that week, I'm curious, how do you find yourself uh, following the game? Do you find yourself watching a lot of baseball at night? Is it a lot more uh, kind of research during the day, or is it just kind of this constant during the season, you're always checking something, watching stuff? Uh, what's that looked like for you? Yeah, I'm I'm always trying to think of topics. Like, you know, right now I have no idea what I will be writing in the upcoming week, and I'm hoping that I'll figure that out in the next couple of days. So there's always kind of that pressure to generate ideas. And so I, you know, I think watching baseball is is definitely a good way to get ideas. And, you know, you're watching a game and something occurs to you as a research topic. And, and that's great. I find that, I don't know, it's often not the most efficient way for me to get ideas because baseball games take a long time. So, um, you know, as, as fun as they are, like I, I probably, I, I definitely sit down and watch a baseball game in its entirety a lot less than I did before I did baseball full time or, you know, a lot of my time when I was a fan, it was nightly appointment viewing for me and I'd sit down and watch the whole baseball game. And now I don't do that. So I I try to, you know, unless it's the playoffs or something, I, I try to consume it in a more efficient way. So I'll, you know, I'll watch highlights. I'll watch quick pitch. I'll read recaps. I'll watch those condensed game capsule kind of things just to stay up on everything. Or I'll, you know, be on Twitter or I'll read various news aggregation sites to try to figure out what's going on and what are people talking about and what are people interested in. And often I'll have some sort of research request out because, you know, a lot of the articles I do, I couldn't do without some really smart and generous people who helped me out with research. You know, most most of all, Rob McEwen at Baseball Prospectus, who is just a, a wizard and is able to run any sort of number you want and is perpetually overworked. So uh, a lot of articles owe their, owe their actual data to Rob and, and other people who help me out from time to time. So Often it's sort of, you know, well, I'm, I'm waiting for this data I need to come in and, uh, you know, I'll be able to write whenever I have it. So I've got to, got to wait a little while. So it, 
it varies a lot from week to week. And, you know, sometimes it's really obvious what you write about. There's something everyone's writing about. And sometimes there's just some weird idea that will occur to you and you'll try to find a time to fit it in. Do you have a favorite kind of article to write? Um, I guess, I mean, I, I like to feel like I'm learning something as I write and, you know, hopefully helping other people learn things too. So if I can do some sort of study on something and feel like I actually came up with an answer, that's probably my favorite type of article. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's maybe I, at least I, I feel the best about it afterwards. If I actually tried to figure something out about baseball and maybe actually figured it out. I don't know. I always start out wanting to look into things and then every single time it's more complicated than I hoped it would be. You know, it's yeah. there's some sort of variable or some lurking variable there that just, you know, screws up the analysis and you have to add all these caveats and everything. And it's really hard to just discover something about baseball that, you know, years of brilliant writers haven't discovered before you. And, and it's, you know, it's hard to isolate one factor because there's just so much going on in baseball. But if I can do that, and from time to time, I'm able to do that and have some really solid data on something that uh, hasn't been worked over time, time and time again, then I think that's probably the best thing. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know, you know, either that or if I'm able to tell some interesting story and talk to people and and have good quotes and and report something that people weren't aware of. And, you know, there might be zero stats in that sort of article, but that can be just as satisfying in a different way. Do you have something you've always wanted to work on? And if you had kind of unlimited time, resources, help, whatever it might be, there's just something you've always wanted to be able to tackle? Yeah, I heard you uh, ask, I think, RJ that on one of the recent episodes, and I, I wasn't sure what I would say if you asked me that, because I... He said I, ghost hunting with John Gray, <laughs> Yes, so he did. <laughs> and I know that's been uh, on his list for a while, and I hope he gets to do it, because that'd be fun. But um, I, I, don't, I mean, I, I have a few things, you know, like, I'd really like to do something on pitcher deception, you know, mm-hmm. not... Not like um, effective velocity or, or like guys who get good extension, but guys who hide the ball, for instance. That's something that's always been fascinating to me. Or, you know, there, there's just something about them that hitters will say they can't pick up the pitch or they hide it behind their back or something about the way they deliver every pitch the same is deceptive. And that feels to me like the part of pitching we haven't fully quantified yet you know we we have how hard everyone's throwing and what they're throwing and how long it takes them to throw it and how much it spins on the way to the plate but we don't really have a, a great handle on that kind of are you hiding the ball are you doing something else that makes it tough to pick up and in part that's probably because it's a hard thing to write about and, and to get information on so I've I've kind of made a little progress toward that but not as much as I'd like so there are things like that research topics that are just tough to do, but I, I want to do something with them at some point. But other than that, not really. I'm, I'm kind of envious of writers who have long to-do lists. I, I tend to be sort of more article to article. And at times I'm working on, you know, two or three things, but it's not like I have some bottomless list that I can just dive into whenever I need a topic. Often I'm out of topics and I don't know what to write about. So there isn't really a a huge thing. You know, I probably, if I had unlimited time, I would spend it just, you know, writing sci-fi or something. Well, and this question might be a little similar, but in terms of 
Uh, long-term goals. I mean, you know, you've said you feel like writing's probably better for you than working for a team at this point. Are there still things on your, I'd love to accomplish these things as a writer, or if if life went as it's going now and you've got the opportunities you've got, you'd be pretty satisfied with what you have? Yeah, I'm I'm really satisfied with, uh, yeah. because I, I don't, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm able to do almost anything. You know, I have the opportunity to do almost anything. Doesn't mean I can do it or do it well. But at The Ringer, at least, I literally have not had an editor say no yet. You know, I've been there since, uh, I don't know, July, and I've written about all sorts of topics that I've never written about before. And I've never been turned down. And it's just, you know, it's it's almost exhilarating as a writer to just know that if you do have an idea about something, you know, the only limitation will be yourself. You know, if you if you screw it up, you might still screw it up, but but you're at least going to have the chance to screw it up. And so I feel like I can do almost anything. You know, I feel like I'm sort of my own boss. I, I'm not. I have a boss, but I feel very self-directed. You know, I, I can kind of mm-hmm. write about whatever interests me. And so that's all I want, really. And I, I have it. So I'm lucky. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to write a novel sometime and it might be terrible and it might never be published, but I would at least feel better for, for having done it because it was kind of the, the first thing I originally wanted to do. So there's that. But otherwise, no, I, I've kind of uh, I've, I've gotten to where I wanted to be more or less. And now it's just about trying to make the most of the opportunity. Well, one of the final questions we always ask everyone, and we already hit on this a little bit, so if there's nothing different, that's fine. But somebody's listening uh, really early in the process, maybe taking their first steps into writing about baseball. What are a few things you tell them, encourage them with, advice you give? Well, I'd, I'd just say don't feel hesitant to reach out to people and ask them to read your work or ask them to publish your work. I mean, I, I've really just, I know you've mentioned this, I think on the show that just everyone I've encountered in this community has been incredibly encouraging and helpful. You know, I've just never like talked to a, a baseball writer whose work I liked and, and left the conversation saying, Oh, that guy's a jerk. You know, like that guy's not helpful at all. I mean, almost everyone, from when I was just starting out and had no experience to speak of, everyone was willing to to talk to me or give me advice or, or help me out. And so that's kind of been a constant just reaching out to people. If I don't know something about a certain topic, I'll ask someone who does and just, you know, it, it almost without fail, it seems like that person is willing to give me some of their knowledge or time. So I would definitely say that, that uh, don't don't be hesitant to reach out to anyone you want to talk to. You'd be surprised, you know, just how willing some people you'd think are too busy to, to talk to anyone that they're not, or at least they, they make the time for it. So there's that. And I think just, you know, don't be afraid to put your work out there. And there are many places you can do that, whether it's BP or the Fangraphs community blog or beyond the box score, you know, any of the the many breeding grounds, farm systems for, for some of the, the bigger sites. I mean, those places have been incredible hardball times. You can email Paul Swiden whenever you want and say, I have this article. Do you want to run it? And he'll definitely read it. So I, you know, and, and I was sort of the same way when I was at BP and people would submit things. I would always read them. So, you know, when people would email me at BP and say, how do I work at 
BP, I would just say, you know, send me a send me a BP article, basically. <laughs> like, you know, like people would say, well, I love this and I want to do this and here's my experience and here's my resume and all that. And, and, you know, that's obviously good. You definitely need that, that love of doing this and that desire to do it. And, you know, if you have a, a degree in something related, that's obviously helpful too. But for people who are making this, the decisions about whether to publish your work, the most helpful thing is to have an example of the work. So, you know, if someone I never heard of sent me an article that I thought was good enough to be published at BP, then I would publish it. So mm. if, if you're capable of doing that, then just send it to someone who's in a, a position to put it out there. And if you still need more time and practice, then... You know, just uh, keep reading people whose work you admire and try to break down how they're able to do what they do, what they do. And hopefully over time, you'll sort of develop your your own style. And if you start out just kind of, you know, doing a an almost imitation of someone you respect, that's fine. You know, you'll you'll figure out how it works as you go and it'll start to sound less like that person and, and more like you. Ben, thanks so much for your time today. Anything you want to plug as we get ready to wrap up here? Uh, people find me on Twitter at, at my name, Ben Lindbergh. They'll see just about everything I do. So, you know, I'm doing the, the baseball podcast still at, at BP, Effectively Wild, and the Ringer podcast, Ringer MLB show with Michael Bauman. And I'm doing a video game podcast now. They're also called Achievement Oriented with Jason Concepcion and then just uh, writing at the Ringer. So I'm, I'm not the most active tweeter you've talked to probably, but I will tweet links to my work. So if you want to find it, that's where it is. Do you have an off-season video game recommendation for everybody? <laughs> Man, there are so many right now coming out. I don't have time to to play all of them. I have, you know, the new Call of Duty is sitting on my Xbox right now, and Dishonored Two is coming out, and and Watch Dogs Two. I I, I have no time to to play as much as I want to play right now. So I I don't know. There's a, a new game called Owlboy that uh, looks really interesting. It's a PC platformer. So I think I'm oh. going to give that a shot next. Okay. And as we wrap up today, uh, my name again uh, is Eric Roseberry. You can find me on Twitter uh, at Eric Roseberry. Uh, and you can also subscribe to the On Baseball Writing Podcast. Uh, you can now find the show uh, in iTunes and Stitcher uh, and at the Google Play Store. Uh, and if you uh, would rate and review the show while you're there, I would really appreciate it. Uh, you can find my writing at Red Reporter and Call to the Pen. And we will see you all next time. <laughs>